Hello, software fans. This is Rich Leg again. In this episode, we'll be discussing one portion of the experiences I've had in 30 plus years in the software industry, which all contribute to my expertise. Ever since I met my first computer programming class in the senior year of high school days, I knew that it was something that fascinated me and that I enjoyed. It was also confirmed via grades and experiences that I was really good at it. It comes easy to me. It's like a fish in water. I still remember that first assignment the teacher asked us to do as an informal homework. To do at home. He asked us to take a list of letters or words or what have you, numbers even, and then design slash write the software. It was just pseudocode. It wasn't anything specific syntax. But we were using Apple basic language on an Apple II computer, a PC, I think. And he asked us to figure out how we could sort a list of unsorted numbers, items, I mean. I'm sure he didn't expect any of us glassy-eyed students to actually take him up on his offer. He offered us five extra credit points, but I did. I worked on it at home. I worked on it at home that night, and the next day I was a little bit excited to see if what I had come up with was going to match the correct answer. Remember, we didn't have Google or the Internet back then, so I couldn't check other than wait for the teacher. When the teacher asked if anybody had done it, I was the only kid. I slowly raised my hand. He asked if I wanted to share what I had come up with by writing it on the board. A little bit surprised, I walked up to the board with chalk in hand, a little nervous, because I was not the most outspoken kid at that time. I wrote the bubble loop that I had figured out using four statements. Not the number four, mind you. Programmers will get that joke. A simple bubble loop with indented looping syntax. I think it was two four statements, if I remember correctly. He surprisingly could not believe it. And he said, that's exactly right. I remember how it was dead quiet in class. It was an interesting moment, one that I'll probably never forget. I just knew from that day on, everything that I learned in computer science classes was fascinating. Not just the programming, but truly computer science. Not hacking like a lot of people do today. Not cribbing things from vast resources of libraries that already exist because there weren't any. Not from the internet because we didn't have that either. But the true science of building something, of engineering it, right? We ended the semester-long class with an assignment where we had to write a program. It needed to be a bunch of pages of programming language syntax that we wrote from scratch. The language, again, was Apple Basic. The program had to perform multiple tasks. It was monolithic. I don't remember what the specifics were, But I can remember for the first time in my academic career, 
I got a 99 out of 100 on a final. I knew from that day forward that software and the love of software, what it does, how it does it, what it can do, just the creative nature of it would be in my future. Software is unique. It's not like a physical circuit or a 2x4 of lumber. It's not in any way physical. It's 100% cerebral. You don't really have anything to show at the end of the process. You have a program. You can print it out, press your friends and colleagues and customers with how many lines of code and how many pages of paper you can burn. Back then, we didn't have any other way to show somebody something. There were no thumb drives. There was a big old floppy drive that you could hand to somebody, but they had to have the exact same computer to be able to bring it up. So it wasn't easy other than killing some trees to show somebody what you had built. But software is unlike a lot of other trades or industries. It's all in your brain. The requirements are in somebody else's brain. Or in those rare circumstances, the requirements are in your brain and you need to run through them and then convert them into a language that a computer can use. Um, your customers can write their thoughts down. So there are physical documents, you know, but there's still the expressions in imperfect English or whatever language you're working in of what's in your brain. And then each time you try to pass that information on to somebody else, the infamous telephone game has a chance to factor in. Even if everything is formally written down. That's why in my experience, I've learned, one might say, maybe the hard way I learned it. The more people involved in your projects, the more difficult, the more labor it takes. The more risk that's created in the form of missing something between communication points or handoffs from designers, architects, developers, people who do documentation, people who do the testing, people who help you with the implementation, getting it from your machine uh, to the target machines. And then the lovely and kind trainers who help users understand what all this magic does how it's going to make their life supposedly easier and help their businesses make money. Each one of those cogs in the wheel of modern day software development can cause issues. And in my experience, always, always does. Now, the opposite is true also. It can help when you have a team of highly skilled individuals that team can get more done than they could individually. You know the saying, two brains are better than one? Well, in software, as I'm sure is the case in other areas, it's not unique to software. But it's not a linear truth that the more people you have will equate to shorter durations. Nor does it translate to a better product with the most features. It's a gray area. You have to know how to do it. 
You can't successfully fake it, although as I look on the internet and see the job postings and see the resumes and see the candidates, very many people try. They try to fake it, right? They took a class, they apply for a job, or they put on their LinkedIn profile that they know a language. But it's very much an art and a skill really not much different than uh, a spoken language. The only problem is the person you're speaking that computer language to is an idiot. It's a computer that has to translate everything down to bits and bytes, ones and zeros, right? At least you get the benefit of the doubt of a human person on the other end of the conversation when you're speaking a spoken language. I mean, that's a two-edged sword. Right? They can easily misinterpret things. At least when a c computer misinterpreted things, it's your error. You're the one typing it in. You're the one trying to run the program. You're the one that's trying to get the compiler to understand. Right? When it's dumb, it's actually you that's dumb. So it's a little bit less frustrating. Well, I'll say infinitely more frustrating many times when speaking with a stranger or speaking a new language. But it's still not just a skill. It's not one that you can say you've ever mastered, right? Especially with the continual onslaught and barrage of new hardware and new software and new devices that need to run the software, right? No programs from 10 or 20 years ago are still efficiently in production the way they were written. They always need tinkering. They're always needing modification. They always need rewriting. It's a living, breathing thing, computer software. You can never just write it, give it to somebody, and walk away, right? Especially if they use that software a lot, because as they use it, they think about all new things that they want software to do. The mistake many make is they think one program can do it all, like, how many people would buy a phone if you just turned it on and every time you spoke to it, it would do exactly what you wanted it to do, regardless of the app that was on the computer. It would just go get the right app, run it, right? When you misspoke to it, like so many people do, it wouldn't say, I don't know what you're saying, but it would go get it and run it. You'd never know how many apps were needed. It just looked like one black box that did everything for you. I mean, look at the popularity of home-based speaker slash microphone systems that feed your verbal commands. Dare say, all of the conversations you have are fed into it. Let's hope not too many nefarious things are being done with it. But, you know, the computers that are ubiquitous, you know, turn down the lights, turn up the radio, turn the TV, wash the dishes, take the dog out, all those kind of things. I digress. So let me back up a little bit. Um, software is not something you can fake. It doesn't take very long having a conversation with the fellow technical expert in software computer science or software engineering. It doesn't take a very long conversation to realize that they know what they're talking about. They know how to do computer science. They know how to write 
and all the other things in software. It's very much both an art and a skill. And I thank a co-worker of mine. His name is Don Estabrook. He taught me this while I was working with him at Motorola in Harvard. If you talk to anybody who's been one of my customers, and many of my coworkers for that matter, they can tell you whether or not it's true that I say this. I probably told each of them at least once when they're wanting to expedite a development project. They start by asking something like, can't we just add some more people? That infamous phrase, which I started using after I read a book titled The Mythical Man Month, is that you can't necessarily go faster in software by adding more people. Well, it's true you can't add laborers to a job of painting a wall and get it done faster, or add more master bricklayers to build a wall, highly technical or a highly practiced skill. You also must realize that when you do that, the labor cost may be higher for each hour. Sure, it's going to be less hours with more people, but you got multiple people painting each hour. Some amount of duration will likely occur, but you have to be careful and make sure that there's truly a savings for the number of people you throw at it. You know, you could paint a wall nine times faster if you had nine painters, even if some of them weren't very skilled, right? Well, many customers have a lot of money. So it being some magnitude more money to paint that wall, not really a problem for them, right? They got a lot of money, not a lot of time. They need it done quickly. That's why you're there. And they sometimes, well, I would say many times, don't always have the expertise. That's why you're there again. You told them you have the expertise to figure it out. And if you didn't get all the requirements before you told them that, shame on you. One of my managers at ETQ, Dennis Quantz, he was famous for his turn of phrases. He said on several occasions on projects where we were asking questions of him, why we're doing this, right? Why we're attempting to do this. It didn't make sense, right? Things that were asking the bigger level leadership questions like, why are we doing this? Not just how. We knew the hows up to a point. We were asking why. Why is the company doing this? Right? Why is the company taking on this project? Or why is the company helping this particular customer when there was a long line of customers needing our help? Well, he said, and I quote, this customer has more money than brains, end quote. It, it's particularly true I have found of companies near the top of the stock market with large staffs, staffs, I don't know what a staff is, <laughs> with large staffs and that are highly, highly specialized, so specialized that they've lost the forest through the trees, right? They hire a lot of people and have a lot of bodies and either can't find the expert they need in their organization or they just plain don't have it. They genuinely need an expert or many experts and they need the assistance. 
Therefore, they're willing to spend the money uh, for you to be there. With that quote in mind, you know, it made sense that many people, my customers in particular, but many people, right, ask the questions like, can't we just add more people to the effort? You're only one guy, Rich. You have many things you're good at. We really, really trust you. But can't we just add more people and have things go faster? Remember, those customers who typically say that are senior executives or other project managers. And they they laugh when uh, I respond to their questions, right? Again, the customers have too many times talent-limited people. Some of the time, it is true that it's possible to simply put more butts in chairs and drive to an aggressive delivery date. I always try to oblige my customer requests whenever possible. We all have our limits, and if you can make a team that's made up of people with a wider and wider skill set, you definitely benefit from that. But there's no black and white answer to when is it beneficial? When are too many people detrimental? When is too few people unacceptable? When people ask me, can't we just add people? There are usually, you know, like I said, the senior leaders, and they probably don't know software at all. You've got to realize that's a reality. Many senior executives, even corporate executives, just don't know software. Not very familiar. They just consider it a tool, something to manage, something to leverage. Well, they they frequently have risen up in, in their justification. They've usually just risen up the ranks. Some of them come through areas like finance. I had one manager within my company in particular who he could not have programmed his way out of a box if you wrote it down on paper for him. There's a lot more to programming than just knowing the language. You have to know how to compile it, how to test it, how to troubleshoot it, all kinds of things. It never works the first time. Well, this manager, he was an auditor by trade. So because of that and many other experiences, I've learned to speak almost just like Jesus does in parables and metaphors. The particular metaphor that I like to use in this scenario is you just can't have a baby in one month with nine highly skilled or experienced women. I'll close this podcast by signing off, wishing you success. If you aren't experiencing success, then I wish you good luck. And if you aren't having good luck, then let's talk about it. In any case, have a great day. Enjoy the journey. I look forward to many listeners and many participants. Thanks.